your Friday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Hope you guys are having a good day, getting ready for the weekend, a little trick-or-treating in a few days, um, and uh, maybe somebody's birthday that uh, that hosts this uh, this podcast. Not going to tell you exactly when, but it's, it's coming up here in the next few days as well. So, um, you know, if you're on the lookout for a gift, maybe go to uh, go to the iTunes, uh, go to the uh, Apple Podcast, as, we, as the kids call it these days. Leave a rating, leave a review for your favorite daily delivery podcast, and uh, maybe give me that for my birthday. Um, <clears throat> good show coming up today. Ben Gessling from the Star Tribune will join me here in a little bit to talk about the Vikings. A good free-flowing conversation with Ben about the defense, about Kirk Cousins, about some other things as the Vikings prepare to come off of that bye week, 5-1 and one right now, looking very good, but some things still that they need to clean up if they want to sustain their winning ways. So Ben and I will get into a lot of those things here in just a minute. We'll also get to the first big offseason move for your Minnesota Twins. They announced that on Thursday as well. First, though, what did I miss? Let's do a Friday lesson in small sample sizes. Wild start of the year, 0-3-1, oh, 0-3 specifically, while allowing 20 goals. Um, Marc-Andre Fleury gave up 11 goals in the first four periods he played this season. Did not look good, did not look sharp. Looked like the sky was falling, or at least a lot of pucks were falling into nets. And it was logical to wonder if this team was as good as they hoped they would be, if Marc-Andre Fleury still had much left in the tank at the end of a Hall of Fame career. Um, these, these were fair questions after just how badly things had gone. It wasn't like they were losing games 3-2, 4-3. You know, when you give up 20 goals in three games, it is, it, is, um, it is fair to wonder what the master plan is. Since that 0-3 start, now I'm going to correct myself right away here, um, they won that fourth game, but then they they had the overtime loss after that, so they were one three and one. But since the zero and three start, um, three zero and one, and they've given up, I believe, ten goals in those four games. Now, Mark Andre Fleury in net for all of those. Very good uh, save percentage. Very good uh, goals against average during that span. Um, exact numbers were in Sarah McClellan's game story. Um, in uh, in Friday's paper, 9.20 save percentage, 2.44 goals against average. Um, Matt Zuccarello saying he's done it for 20 years now, so it's not surprising. And maybe that's a good lesson for us. Now, players' age, it's natural for you know players' abilities to wane a bit over time. Um, and I think you know Mark Andre Fleury probably isn't the same goalie now that he was. You know, ten years ago, I think that's fair. I think athletes do. You know, something something goes in their game, but some things grow in their game as well. Larger point is Flurry and the Wild. We may have counted them out, or at least sounded the alarm a little bit too soon. And now they're back to even three, three and one. Really good road trip so far with five points in their first three games. Beat Ottawa four to two on Thursday night. Flurry very good, twenty seven saves. Um, great redirect goal from Kirill Kaprizov. A lot of good work overall from the Wild. Good, <clears throat> you know, good tempo. Good, you know, just a, another solid road game. And you know, maybe hitting the road at that time <clears throat> after those struggles 
at home to start the year was a good thing for them. Go find go find their game, take a little bit of the pressure off in front of the home crowd that was getting a little bit antsy, and just go play hockey. So that is your first lesson in small sample sizes. The Wild now back to even and feeling more like the team you thought they would be. Second piece, the Lakers. Speaking of somebody who's been around for 20 years, LeBron James, this is his 20th NBA season, which is hard for me to believe. I went and did a story on LeBron when he was, I think, 18, when he was still in high school preparing to be um, what everybody imagined would be the number one overall pick in the draft. Um, he's you know, had an amazing career, one of the five best players of all time. I can say that with confidence. But right now, with the Lakers in the twilight of his career, he's still playing at a high level, but his Lakers are awful. They come to Target Center tonight 0-4 after a struggle a season ago as well. And you've got LeBron and Anthony Davis on this team, and it's hard to fathom how they are so bad, but then you look at the rest of the supporting cast, and it's just not there. So I want to know, with the Lakers, who we all assumed would probably be better this season versus last year, but are off to this 0-4 start. Is this sample size going to be reflective of how they're going to be the rest of the year, or are they going to figure it out at a certain point too? Now, you don't count out someone like LeBron or anybody like that um, at, at any point because they're just they're just too good. They're too you know they're they're too experienced. We've seen them do too many things over the course of time. But uh, you know that said. You also don't, uh, you know, you don't take lightly what, uh, you know, what you've seen so far with your own eyes. So I'll be curious to see what happens in this game, what happens with the rest of this season for the Lakers and beyond. But beware, bigger picture, beware of those small sample sizes because they will fool you into thinking you know something that you do not. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. All right, let's bring in Ben Gessling right now. Covers the Vikings, of course, for the Star Tribune. We do the Axis Vikings podcast every Wednesday. And Ben generally joins me on Fridays during the NFL season to well, not so much look ahead or look back, but kind of like take a pause and, and, you know, kind of get a little perspective on where the Vikings are at. Obviously, they got to feel pretty good about being five and one. They had a bye last week and still gained half a game in the division standings because Green Bay lost to Washington. That all said, Ben, um, I think a number of us have taken turns to a certain degree writing about, you know, how are they, how, how did they get to five and one? What, what parts of it are sustainable winning on the margins, things like that. So I think they also realize there's stuff that they need to get better at if they are going to keep winning games and not just, you know, relying on late game, you know, execution, which has been a big part of what's gotten it done for them so far. And I think some of us would agree that one piece of things that could use a little bit of tightening up is sometimes their coverages on defense. So let's hear first from Kevin O'Connell and Ed Donatel this week. Just seems like a little bit of a difference of opinion. This had my ears perking up Wednesday when O'Connell said, 
you know, essentially maybe Patrick Peterson should be deployed a little bit differently. So here's Kevin O'Connell first, and then Ed Donatel, defensive coordinator, a day later when told of what Kevin O'Connell had said. He's handled it really well. Um, I'd like to see him, and, and, and we're going to go ahead and green light him to, to maybe get up and, and be a little bit more competitive at the line of scrimmage just because he's got that skill set and experience doing that. But what I think he's done a great job of, Ben, is using the experience of all those years playing against elite receivers and matching elite receivers. Uh, I, I don't know exactly, you know, uh, which might be preferring, referring to. But, you know, we, we want our guys to challenge, you know, and, you know, deny the ball. And we want to cut down some, some of the gains people are making. Now, ben, what do you what do you make of that? I don't think it, I don't think we're into schism territory or anything like that. But there does seem to be to me there, a difference of maybe how aggressive maybe Kevin O'Connell wants to see at least some of the more trusted players on this defense uh, playing versus you know some of the more patient schemes that that Donatel seems to be deploying. Yeah, I, it's it was an interesting point because I just I asked the question about. Uh, hey, Patrick Peterson has been this. He's been known as this. And that was a lot of the reason he said he wanted to come here is they'll allow me to be Patrick Peterson again, which is a press corner that's getting up on guys and turning and running with them. The Vikings, obviously, this year have done quite the opposite of that. I think it's been fairly successful for Peterson so far in the sense that he hasn't had to turn and run and and has been able to kind of read things in zone and and kind of key off of the things that he sees in coverage like he did at the end of that game uh, against the Dolphins a couple of weeks ago. So it was interesting to hear O'Connell kind of say, we want to get back to some of the, the more physical coverage type things that he has done in the past. And I, I, I think O'Connell is looking at this and saying, how can we make individual adjustments within the scheme to tighten up some of the throwing lanes for quarterbacks just a little bit. Whereas I think Donatello is probably thinking we don't need to make a lot of adjustments to what we're doing because the philosophy of it has kept teams out of the end zone better than a lot of the yardage numbers would suggest that it would. And we should keep playing it the way that we're playing it. It, it was, it was interesting because Donatello's response about, I don't know exactly what you might be referring to. You're kind of thinking, if O'Connell is telling us this, you would assume that they would have had that conversation behind the scenes at some point. It, it at least didn't sound like from Donatel's response that they had, or, or perhaps it was that they had and, and Donatel didn't want to let anything on or perhaps wasn't uh, in total agreement with it. But yeah, the, the, uh, the overall philosophy of, of needing to tighten things up a little bit in coverage and just make throwing windows a little more difficult to come by, I think is, is something to keep an eye on because they have not done a great job of that. And you see a lot of teams, I think, kind of giving up the underneath gains in exchange for not giving up stuff downfield. But I think O'Connell is trying to say, is there a way we can do both of these things? Is there a way we can keep teams from pushing the ball over the top on us, but also make it harder for them to complete 10, 11 yard throws on third and seven and stay on the field because you can get beat that way too. So interesting little um, thought process here with Patrick Peterson and probably with their coverage in general, certainly something to keep an eye on, especially as we see them get into a stretch in November where it's Josh Allen and then it's Dak Prescott and then 
know, the Patriots come in after that. I mean, that's kind of when that schedule starts to get a little bit more difficult for this defense. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they adjust to some of those things. Yeah, it will be. And, you know, um, old defensive minded coach, young offensive minded coach. We've never seen that play out here no, before in any way, never. shape or form. No, no, certainly not. And uh, it's, you know, we'll have to see how it plays out. I, again, we have we have no historical precedent for it. Um, but, you know, I, I'm sure it could be an interesting uh, exchange back and forth if, if you get into those types of scenarios. Yeah, I would think so. Um, I would imagine so. The difference in the Mike Zimmer era versus now is that the young... Oh, that's what you were referring to. The young offensive coach is the head oh, coach now. Okay. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't, I don't think... But yeah, I guess that would maybe be something to keep in mind. I think your I think your assessment is a good one in that maybe O'Connell is looking at this and saying, "Is there an adjustment to be made? Is there a tweak within the system?" We're not saying overhaul the system. We're not saying this isn't working because it's you know they're twelfth in scoring defense right now. It, it's not you know not the the end of not the end of the world in terms of how they're playing. People have been kind of dumping on the defense quite, quite a lot this year, but by and large, that's kind of how they've wanted to play has worked the way they want it to work, save for, you know, I'm sure they don't want to give up as many yards as they are, but at the end of the day, they're content with, you know, playing good red zone defense, trying to create some turnovers, getting off the field when they can, and trying to be steady that way instead of giving up big chunk plays. And by and large, they've been pretty successful at that. So I'm sure there will be a little bit of back and forth between how do you maintain what's been working well, even if people don't understand what's been working well versus how do you, how do you get better within that framework, which is kind of what they're trying to do overall as a team right now, right? Just like, how do you take what's been working, but make it even better? Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I think to Donatel's credit, I guess there, there have not been a ton of coverage busts, even when you have seen teams kind of trying to attack them in different ways and, and teams trying to test how much young players are picking up the scheme or, you know, you saw the one in Philadelphia with the, the long throw to Quest Watkins. There haven't been a lot of other big downfield plays that have just been wide open. I and mean, the Christian Watson one against the Packers might've been that if, if he'd caught the ball, but right. you know, they counted themselves fortunate on that one. I think, you know, we joke around about the, the Zimmer stuff a little bit. Uh, also laugh when you said the word tweak and the best yes. call. The Zim era there. Yes. Um, but there is, in all seriousness, I think um, this is part of the relationship between an offensive head coach and the guy on the other side of the ball. I, I guess I should say the head coach and the guy on the other side of the ball, whether it's a defensive coach or an offensive coach. Some of the theory is that you can have a little bit of that team of rivals thing uh, where I bring my expertise and how I would attack you sure. as an offensive coach or as a quarterback, like Kevin O'Connell was, or I bring my expertise of how I would try to defend you as a defensive coach, defensive play caller, like Mike Zimmer did it. I mean, that, that typically is how the exchange works. There can be tension at times if it's, Hey, you should do it this way rather than, Hey, here's something to think about from the opposing perspective, do it how you like. Um, just something to think about. But at the same time, when you're the head coach, you are the guy that has to answer for all of this stuff. So the, the, 
the exchange of ideas, I would expect this is going on in Green Bay right now with Matt LaFleur and Joe Barry. It's not uncommon. And I, I think these things can certainly have different tones based on the people involved. And I, I expect they do here as, a, as opposed to the way they've perhaps gone in the past. And we've seen some of those things not go so well in the past. So, um, you know, it's probably some healthy tension involved there. But, yeah, certainly worth keeping an eye on to see if it if it uh, leads to changes or if it kind of just keeps going the way it's going and, and kind of how everybody handles that from there. You wrote um, this week about some of how they've been winning on the margins. And I think Kevin O'Connell alluded to, I think Dalvin Cook alluded a little bit too on Wednesday to, you know, they just need to, they need to play better if they're going to keep winning. I think, I think most of us would agree with that. They're not going to apologize for being five and one, but I think they, if they don't count themselves fortunate, they should at least count themselves uh, that they've executed at the right times and that that might not always happen. Um, and, you know, one kind of glaring way this has played out is Kirk Cousins season. I mean, he's statistically having one of the poorer seasons of his career when you look at a lot of the different numbers, but he's five and one. He's played really well in the fourth quarters of games, made some really important plays sometimes with his feet, but usually with his arm. Um, and seems to me just from, from a casual, you know, not super casual, but you know, from a standpoint of someone who's, you know, gets out to access, you know, several times, a year um, sees Cousins most weeks. He just seems different in his voice this year. And I wanted to get your opinion on that as, as how much you just see a different kind of, whether it's relaxed, whether it's more assertive, whatever it is, Kirk Cousins seems different to me as a person than he did a year ago. And to not to belabor the whole relationship with the coach point, but it just, it does seem like Kirk Cousins is different yet it's not necessarily yet translating to big, big numbers on the field. Yeah, I, I think all that is, is right. I mean, I, the numbers on the field have not been in the interceptions, the, the couple of, I think he said five for the year. Yes. I mean, those have been the things that make the passer rating to the extent that we still worry about that particular statistic. Um, that has dropped passer rating. And the completion percentage is probably not as high as it's been either. And I think there are certain plays where they are asking him to read it a little bit differently than it's been done in the past. And this also comes in the context of scoring and offensive productivity around the league being down in general. And there's been a lot of talk about that, both in the building this week in press conferences and just things written about it of why that might be. And, and you've, I think, seen Cousins talked about it the other day, some of the the, the schemes that are built on not giving up stuff over the top, kind of like we're talking about. And this is like what the Vikings run, where you have to sit there and be patient and hit timing throws and not just throw it over the top. They may have opportunities to do that on Sunday against Arizona, but I think that's been a little bit different overall. So some of the numbers probably worth keeping in context, some of those changes that have happened. But I, I do think the relationships in the building have allowed Cousins to be a little bit more of himself probably in press conferences. Cause I mean, remember there were times when he would be fairly detailed after games about here's what I should have done. Here's what I wanted to do. Here's why it didn't work or here's why it did. And Mike Zimmer would say <laughs> in his next press conference, he shouldn't be telling you guys that much. And, right. and Zimmer probably was telling cousins that in so many words, in private conversations as well. That doesn't seem to be, and there's a little more willingness 
from cousins, from I think coaches to say, here's why this worked and we can be a little more expansive on what we're doing. And almost, I, I think probably the idea being none of this is a secret. Yeah. And I think, you know, Kevin O'Connell, I, I think likes to talk ball. I think that's yeah. part of it. He just likes to talk ball. And I think also sees a benefit in if fans understand what we're doing a little bit better, they might appreciate some of the nuance of it that, you know, that might work. That might not, if you're winning, it certainly works. But I, I think overall there's probably less of a message of be extremely overly careful about what you say. So I think that has probably changed things a little bit for cousins. Cause he typically has been a guy that when you ask him football questions, he will get into it and, and kind of tell you what he thinks. Cause I think he's also a guy that just likes that, that exchange of, of ideas and, and thoughts, but he's had a little more space to do it. And I, I think probably too the, I mean, he spent a lot of time in the crosshairs the last couple of years over, you know, COVID vaccines, all that stuff. And the fact that that's not coming up anymore, probably just it's human nature. I think, I think it's going to have a little bit of a change in the, in the tenor of those exchanges as well. Yeah, that's a good point. And if O'Connell was a secret keeper, I don't think he would have blurted out that Patrick Peterson, like we said, will be playing yeah. more press coverage or he'd like to see him playing up a little bit more in that. I don't think that's a, he, I, don't, I don't think that's something you just volunteer if you're trying to keep everything close to the vest. Yeah, he seems to subscribe to the crazy theory that what you say at a press conference does not cost you a chance to win a Super Bowl. And given the fact that he won one a year ago as an offensive coordinator, working for a coach that generally is fairly forthright, forthright with the media, uh, he might be onto something. It, you know, I, it's possible that you don't win championships with your press conference approach on a Wednesday. Crazy idea, but might not be. Rams are kind of falling apart, by the way. Maybe Kevin O'Connell was the secret sauce over there. It could be. I mean, yeah, that, that's very possible. But, uh, you know, we'll find out here in the next few weeks, I would think, if, if uh, the Vikings go on to win the Super Bowl, maybe the theory kind of holds up there. A um, few more thoughts for you. One being um, we've talked a lot about the trade deadline. That's coming up early next week. They still have this game before that against the Cardinals. Um, I does, does this weekend's game to you have any bearing on what they might do or what they should do? Like, like barring injury or anything like that, let's just say, you know, a win or a loss, what other, what else happens in the division? Would you, do you imagine that is something that should influence what they do? Cause I'm sure people, you know, people will say, ah, you know, we're, we're always looking for opportunities to help the team, things like that. But if you're like, if you win this game and you're six and one, or if you lose and you're five and two and you uh, identify some holes, things like that, it does seem to me like there can be a reason or, you know, a tiebreaker is like, Hey, this, this happened this weekend. We think we do need X, Y, or Z before the deadline. How do you see that? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Cause I suppose if you win, you could look at this either way, right? You could say, Hey, we're six and one. We have a great chance to be, the number one seed, if Philly would trip up at some point, and, or at the very least, we have a great chance to win the division. Let's push some chips in the middle and, and take a swing at this. You could also say we're six and one, and we haven't, made, in a lot of cases, played terribly well yet. I don't know what will happen on Sunday, but I, they've certainly said that after the first five wins. 
So we don't need to do anything because we have the pieces that have gotten us here and we can keep going with those pieces. The answer to that may be different from different people in the building. I could see Kevin O'Connell having a different answer to that question than Quasi Adolfo Mensa. I could see ownership having a different answer to that question. So I think it will come down to probably specifics about what scenarios are in front of you. What do you feel like you can do? And what do you have to give up to get it? Because I, I generally think there's not going to be, and we talked about it on Access Vikings, I, I don't think there's going to be a philosophy with this front office of let's just go trade everything and try to push everything we have into this season. I, I don't think they're going to do that. Frankly, they have to make a lot of things happen between now and Tuesday with the salary cap to do that anyway. And I, I think they can do a few things and try to figure out some ways to give themselves a little bit of room to work with and maybe make a deal or two if something is attractive. But I, I don't think there's going to be this wholesale sort of let's go find a way to get DJ Moore in here or a way to you know, make a trade for an established you know, corner or something like that. I mean, you know, the different things you may talk about trying to do, I don't think they're going to mortgage the future for this year. Um, that said, I think if there are opportunities to add to the roster, they're certainly going to look at doing that and try to do it probably in a way that doesn't force them to make huge leveraging type moves for the future in the process. Trading away Alexander Madison makes no sense to me. I don't know where that's coming yeah. from, but that just doesn't seem like something that you do when you're five and one O'Connell's talked really highly of Madison at a couple points this season. He's had a couple, I think he took that what was it the 15 yard catch and run. And then he, yeah, had, he had another, another run early this year where, you know, he was talking about, we're thinking that's going to be third and goal. Next thing you know, he's in the end zone. So he yep. he's spoken pretty highly of Madison this year and Dalvin cook's injury history. Like none of that adds up to me. Yeah, I mean, the, the thought process there, and I think where that's coming from is people talking to other teams around the league saying, yeah, they're calling. I mean, yes, and we know that. There was there were calls about Alexander Madison before the season as well, because everybody's looking at the same thing. They're saying, this guy has been a productive NFL running back. He's at the end of his first contract. He's going to be a free agent after the year. Why wouldn't you try to get something now instead of losing him in free agency and then rolling the dice on is, is the contract big enough that we get a comp pick and we got to wait a year for that. I, I think that's probably where all that is coming from. It's just chatter among scouts, among front office people around the league saying, Hey, there's a lot of interest in this guy. Yes, there is. That's been known. Uh, the thing to consider as well is the same thing to consider or the, was the same thing we had to consider before the season in the sense that, like you're saying, he has value to this team now, given his productivity in the offense. They play him a lot on third downs at this point with Dalvin Cook's shoulder and trying to keep some, some wear and tear off of that. Cook's injury history does make a difference here. And you've also had Ty Chandler injured, and they have not put Kene Wangwu in the offense. So really, the only guy they have trusted – beyond Dalvin Cook or been able to count on beyond Dalvin Cook is Alexander Madison. I don't see a scenario where you're just going to suddenly deem him expendable unless you get some major return. And I don't think you're going to get a major return for a running back. That's six months, five months, whatever it is for free agency. So there's going to be interest, but if you're coming to the Vikings saying, here's a fifth round pick or a fourth rounder, I, I just, I don't know that I, I see that being the, 
the thing they're going to do. No, I agree with that. Um, Maybe you think about it for a fourth, but I don't think they're going to get a fourth. I just, I just, if they were three and three right now, it makes sense, but not at five and one. Not when you think he's got more value to you than he does to probably a lot of other teams at this moment. Yeah, probably right. Um, Final thought, Ben, this feels like, I'm not saying Arizona is a quote unquote trap game, but it does feel like the kind of game where a classic Vikings team would stub its toe. Um, You know, Vikings are favored in this game. They're home. They're five and one. They're fresh coming off of a bye. Arizona, I mean, Kyler Murray just, I know he's had his ups and downs, but he's, and I know Call of Duty comes out today. Um, You know, we got all that. We talked about that on XS Vikings, but this is still a potentially scary game, a team that, you know, stumbled towards the end of last year, but was still a playoff team last year, right? And and, then you've got, You've got a team where they're getting some some guys. You know, they got Robbie Anderson now. They're getting uh, they're getting their their kind of their wide receiver core back together now with Hopkins back as well. Like this doesn't seem like the a layup, even though it's a home game. No, it's not a layup. I mean, I, I think that's been a team that's had trouble scoring, and then they go hang forty five on the Saints. I think it was forty five in the forties a week ago. So yeah, the fact that you have. A couple of proven receivers, Robbie Anderson, certainly a guy that that will test you deep. DeAndre Hopkins has been one of the best in the league for a long time when they've had him. And you have Kyler Murray that's going to run around quite a bit as well. I think you're going to see Brian Osamoa probably try to spy him and, and be the answer there. Um, Mark Craig has some interesting stuff coming on Sunday about how Osamoa had played that role at Oklahoma the year Kyler Murray won the Heisman Trophy as his teammate. So... Hmm. Kind of an interesting callback there to a, a role that Asamoah played for the Oklahoma scout team, I think, uh, back in college. But So they're going to have to try to deal with Murray there, and I think you're going to have, as O'Connell talked about, they have five eligible receivers and Murray's running around. It limits the ways that you can play them. You're going to have to have guys cover, I think, fairly well on Sunday. This is going to probably be a little bit of a different test than this secondary has had. They haven't faced a ton of great quarterbacks yet that have really pushed them in terms of what they're able to do. I mean, you you had the Dolphins with a a pretty loaded offense. They didn't have their starting quarterback. You had the Eagles with a lot of talent, and that didn't go terribly well. So I think this is certainly a a test for this defense. I think it's one the Vikings should win, especially being at home. But with the talent the Cardinals bring to it, it is – as we're talking about the coverage stuff, this is going to be a very, very interesting snapshot of how their defense will handle some of the things they're going to get tested with. Because you could make the case this is probably the best offense they have faced since the Philly game, and it's an indicator of what is coming in future weeks with Buffalo and Dallas and then you know, kind of on from there. Absolutely. Well, you and... Andrew will be at the game on Sunday doing a Viking Access Vikings podcast from that game. So be sure to listen to that. And uh, Ben, we'll do this again next week. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. Really enjoyed that conversation with Ben Gessling. Like I said, uh, follow all of his work, Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. We'll see if there's anything. I'll be interested to see what, what adjustments are made coming out of the buy. Just what uh, what they found as they kind of broke everything down how they feel like they can get better, what they will try to do schematically versus internal improvement from players learning 
you know, just getting a little bit more comfortable in the scheme, what changes and what they just hope evolves into something better. Um, but I don't think this game's a layup. I don't think this game's a slam dunk by any stretch of the imagination. I think the Cardinals will test them in ways that they haven't been tested for a while, and I will be eager to see how they respond to that. Let's finish with the cooler today. Like I said at the beginning, the Twins making their first big move of the offseason, hiring a new head athletic trainer, Nick Paparesta, coming from the A's. He was with the A's for the last 12 seasons as their head trainer. Very well respected, and this comes after they fired Michael Salazar at the end of this season after a lot of injuries this past year. So we'll see what difference this makes. Um, I don't know how much you know how much stock should be put in this. How much this is you know scapegoating is the wrong word, but how much this really was you know a trainer's fault. How much of it is really just bad luck or just luck in general, but. How much of this season, this 2023 season, how much better could it be if they just have reasonable health is a good question to ask and an answer I imagine we will get. And they have taken at least a step towards trying to secure that in a meaningful way. That will do it for today. That'll do it for the week. Have a great weekend. We'll be back at it Monday with Patrick Royce and a whole bunch of other good stuff the rest of the week. I'm Michael Rand. See you then.